Today's scripture reading is Isaiah 9, verse 2. Page 323, if you have one of these Bibles. Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love Christmas lights. Does anyone else here love Christmas lights? Uh, just there's something about it. It's really a special time, special time of year. And for all the rest of you that don't like Christmas lights, no, I, you don't like Christmas lights, Mark. I should have put that on your elder assessment. Uh, <laughs> uh, so. We didn't do it this year, but in years past, well, at least one year, we decorated the, right, the, the day following Halloween. Has anyone ever done that? I've decorated the day after Halloween. Um, my, my neighbors were making fun of me that, for that this year, so this year we didn't do it. Um, but we did decorate our house. This is a picture of the Romeg family front yard. And you can see that uh, it's, it's, you know, got the Christmas lights. And actually, my wife and I, Monica decorated one side of the house, and I decorated the other side of the house. And I just want to go ahead and uh, settle a, a marital dispute right now. <laughs> Show of hands, who thinks the side on the left is better decorated? Okay, one, two, three. How about on the right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Countless numbers. And then, who doesn't want to get into this marital dispute? <laughs> Carrie. She's the only one who got the question right. But I will say that the majority of you, you got the right answer. That's right. I, I decorated the right side. Uh, sorry, babe. We love Christmas lights, and it's fun. It's fun to decorate. It's fun to have these little contests. Now, of course, if you're comparing this house to this house, we might lose this is a house in Wilmington, and if you want to go see it, you can. Uh, the decorator of this house, I guess he started in like September, October, and they won $50,000 uh, for ABC's The Great Christmas Light Fight. So now Christmas lights are a source of conflict. <laughs> but he won. He won $50,000, and uh, it's like on the news. You can watch a YouTube video if you don't want to show up, but you can like, I guess he like changed his driveway so that people could drive up through it. So that's kind of cool. That's fun. Lights are symbolic, right? They're not just decorative. They're actually symbolic. They're actually preaching a message. Now, we typically think about lights as just, you know, oh, it makes things pretty. But every time we see lights, we have an opportunity to be reminded of a deeper truth. And I, I want to argue, uh, in today's passage, <laughs> it shows that, like, the light of Christmas being symbolic actually predates the existence of the light bulb, the invention of the light bulb. It predates actually the birth of Jesus. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah said this about Christmas lights. So the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. I think this is talking about Christmas. This is talking about the light, the hope, the joy of Christmas breaking into our darkness. 
But before we can understand what the light means and be excited about what the light means, we have to understand what the darkness is. Because the people have walked in darkness. That means that humankind lived in a state of darkness, is living, has lived. That you and I, in our own power, live in a state of darkness. Now, Isaiah is prophesying to this people called the Israelites, people of God who are in relationship with God, but they're choosing to not be in relationship with God by living in the darkness instead of walking in the light of God's mercy and grace. And if you go back a couple verses in chapter 8 to verses 19 and 20, it says this. It says, when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. So the light is symbolic of God's grace and mercy and God's presence, but the darkness is also symbolic. It's symbolic of three things, of control, of emptiness, and anger. Merry Christmas. It's kind of a dark message, but before we can truly appreciate the light of Christmas, we have to understand the darkness. And I don't know about you, but like, I don't typically drive around in the daytime to look at the Christmas lights. There's something about that contrast when we understand where we've been to where God takes us that is really beautiful. So control, we all wrestle with it. Control, living in the darkness. This passage is, is actually very quite dark. It talks about mediums and necromancers, talking with the dead, communicating with the dead. But it does that to say, like, what are you doing? Like, the people of Israel were, instead of going to the living God, so they had the temple, right? They had the temple there in Jerusalem where they could go and offer sacrifices. And they knew that's where God's presence was, like, physically dwelling on earth in this temple building. Instead, they're like, let me go talk to someone who can conjure the dead. Because that seems to be more reliable than just talking directly with God. See, there's this way of saying, I want to gain control over the spiritual world. I want to gain control over the powers. Most of us aren't talking to the dead or trying to. Maybe you are. If that's you, come talk to me. But I think many of us also want that control, right? We want that level of control. Maybe we won't go to that extreme but we'll go to other extremes to have control over our lives, to be in charge. And what this passage does is it comes in and it says, you know, you need something different. You need something that doesn't taste good to you, but is completely different than how you're operating. You need the light. You're attracted to the darkness, but you need the light. And if we're honest with our hearts, we're attracted to the darkness. Darkness covers doesn't, we don't have to feel the risk of knowing and being known if the darkness is hiding us. But we need the light. And it's scary because the light comes in and says, you know, you got a problem. There needs to be some change. Ever seen those commercials that say, like, give the gift of health this Christmas? Yeah, that's usually for, like, a Fitbit or a Peloton Maybe some of you put a, like one of those things on your Christmas list there, like a health watch. 
<laughs> the commercials never say, like, you're fat, we can help you with that. <laughs> There's a reason I don't write jingles for marketing. But that's what they're saying, right? You're fat, <laughs> we can help with that. Get a Peloton or get a Fitbit. And what this passage here is kind of doing is, is similar. Saying like, you're spiritually in the darkness. The Israelites are spiritually in the darkness as we examine our own hearts. We recognize that sometimes, oftentimes, apart from God, we're walking in the darkness. But God can help with that. There's light. Now, you know, one of the things you can do if, you know, you're feeling convicted by the Peloton illustration uh, is you never need to go to the gym. You don't have to visit your doctor anymore. You don't have to go to church or to, to read the Bible or to pray. You might actually start to feel healthier. <laughs> you might actually become less concerned about your health. Doesn't mean you're actually healthier, right? And so it's actually, even though it's riskier and scarier, we need to, to look at our own hearts and say, wow, to do an assessment, to ask the Holy Spirit to do an assessment, to say, hey, God, where do I need you to apply your grace to my life? Because I'm in the darkness, I can't really see. Isaiah 8 goes on to this to kind of continue describing the problem. He says, They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged. They, they will be hangry. <laughs> they will speak contempt, contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So the darkness is symbolic of control, but also emptiness, just emptiness. It says, those who walk in darkness are greatly distressed and hungry. And maybe it's talking about like an actual physical hungry, but I think it, hunger, I think it's talking about never feeling satisfied, right? Recognizing that there is this place in our lives that needs the light, that needs God's grace. And then we try to plug things that we think are light into those holes, into those areas, right? Maybe it's a relationship that we're like, man, this is my light. Maybe it's a purchase. We don't do that, right? At Christmas season, we don't try to plug the holes in our life with purchases. Or we do. We try to fit something in there. A relationship, a purchase, an achievement, right? If I can only just get this further in my, my education or my career, that'll be my light. Or maybe, you know, even we did a really good thing yesterday, right? Going, serving. But we can actually use something like that to say, oh, I'm going to fill that darkness in my life with the light of serving those who are in need. And we can usually actually use that as a way to, to fill our emptiness. We can't do it. It doesn't work. Darkness just creates more darkness. We watched uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas yesterday. Epic. Epic theological work, treaties by, um, uh, well, about Charlie Brown. Anyone know what year that was made? The, the original? Yeah, 1965. I don't, how did you know that, Lucas? <laughs> You're like, oh, I was around back then. Uh, I, I look very young for my age. Um, yeah, 1965, Sound of Music was also made that year. Anyways, Lucy says to Charlie, Charlie's like all down about Christmas because he gets it. There's something wrong about Christmas. It's like, it's a big, uh, and Lucy says, it's a big commercial racket run by a big Eastern syndicate. <laughs> I love that. That's like so brilliant. Uh, but just recognizing that the way we try to fill our, our darkness with like, you know, blinding lights. You know, I, I liked the display, looking at the picture of the 
$50,000 of Christmas lights. But that doesn't fill our darkness. In fact, the more we try to put these things into the place of darkness and, and try to fill it with ourselves with light, the more angry and upset we become. It says they, they become enraged and they speak against their king and their God. So we have this weird, confusing, melodramatic way of when things don't go well because we do it our way, we then blame God because it's his fault. I don't know why we do that, but we do. It's like the human thing to blame God. But these are all kind of symbolic. These are signs of the darkness, you know. And no matter how much we try to fix our darkness, fill it with light, we can't. So if I were to go back to the, the picture with the, all the, the light decorations, and if you looked like really closely, you might be able to figure out like where half a strand is just like missing lights because it burnt out halfway through it. Has anyone here successfully fixed one of those light strands with like the bulbs they give you? Wow, oh my gosh, Ellen. Carrie, you guys have the secret. I don't know, I would try. Patience. I spent like a half hour trying to get like this light bulb and it never worked. I think that's kind of like our human condition, right? To try to fit this like little light bulb in this little socket to try to get the whole strand to light up and we can't do it. <laughs> it just makes us angry and you just like throw down your Christmas lights and stomp on them. You guys don't do that? <laughs> I don't do that either. A little town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street, street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. So this, this message, it sings of a gospel truth that we were born in darkness. But the light comes in this little town of Bethlehem. The light comes. The, the everlasting light steps down into a manger. See, God sent his light into our darkness. And that's what our passage is promising. This, this passage is like, you know, when someone's going through something tough and you send them one of those, like, get well cards or, like, keep going or, like, be encouraged cards. I guess you can buy those at the store. <laughs> I can order my line, right? This passage is like that. Israel, you're, you're lost in your darkness and your sin, but God is coming for you. <laughs> the sun will rise. The dawn will come. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Where does the light come from? Where, like, look at the passage. Where does the light come from? Does it come from the people? <laughs> no. Like they're, the, they're like the passive recipients of light. They're in the room, but someone else flips the switch. Someone else is the bulb. Darkness comes in to their world. What kind of light is this? It's the light of a small baby boy. We see this a couple verses later in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, we did nothing. (laughs) We were lost in our ignorance and our sin and our darkness. And somehow, God sent his light into our world. A child is born. I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon this week. You guys know I like Tim Keller, right? Just want to make sure. (laughs) I listened to a Tim Keller. It was actually last week, but it was in 1991. I was three years old when he originally preached this sermon. Uh, He preached a sermon on Christmas, and he was talking about how, like, in the Old Testament, if you look at who God is, he's always revealed as, like, this terrifying, dangerous flame, right? Like, you got Abraham, the smoking fire pot. Like, it's meant to be this, like, this cauldron of of risk and, 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 and heated violence, and, like, God is not to be messed with. And then you go fast forward a little bit to Exodus. And what leads the people out of bondage in Egypt? It's like this flaming pillar of smoke during the day and fire at night. And like, you know, I was at an amusement park at Universal Studios once in Florida. And we rode this like, this, uh, you know, this roller coaster. And it, there was this room where suddenly like the ceiling lights up. And you can, you're like facing the ceiling and the whole ceiling just kind of catches on fire. You're like, this is kind of scary. <laughs> I know this is Universal Studios and apparently this is safe and contained. Now imagine like, uh, just like our whole ceiling being engulfed in flames and smoke. Like that would be terrifying. God's not safe. God's dangerous. And then they get to Sinai, and then like God is like, well, let me just top it off by shaking the mountain, and there being lightning and thunder and this like firestorm. God's not safe. God's dangerous. God is born as a child. God steps down into human flesh and cries and eats and poops and puts himself at risk. <laughs> we were talking about that in Christian Ed this morning. How, like, he had to, like his parents cleaned him, right? The diaper. <laughs> so that God could be held in human hands. He's still not safe, but he, but he's a baby. A child is born, and this child will do great things. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Make no mistake, this baby is king, king of kings. He's king of this world, king of this universe. He has every right to judge and to condemn. But he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. That's why we can call him our wonderful counselor, our prince of peace. This book on Christmas called Hidden Christmas, The Surprising Truth Behind the Birth of Christ. I just liked this quote. Why is he called a counselor? When you are going through something very difficult, it's good to talk to someone who has walked the same path, who knows personally what you have been going through. 
If God has really been born in a major, then we have something that no other religion even claims to have. It's a God who truly understands you from the inside of your experience. There's no other religion that says God has suffered, that God had to be courageous, that he knows what it's like to be abandoned by friends, to be crushed by injustice, to be tortured and die. Christmas shows he knows what you're going through. When you talk to him, he understands. God understands what it's like to live in darkness. Because <laughs> he came and walked and lived and breathed in darkness. But he did it to bring light, to set us free. And he can do it because he's mighty God. He's everlasting Father. He's good. He's not really safe. But he comes and takes on human flesh. The other week we had the lights go out at our house. Maybe some of you lost power. We lost power for a couple hours, and it was very scary uh, to the, uh, you know, some of the members of our house. I don't want to say how I reacted, but uh, Elijah was pretty, pretty scared, and so we put some candles up, put it around the house, on the kitchen, the bathroom. That helped, uh, but it didn't really help until <laughs> what really calmed down was just watching Daniel Tiger. Did any of you guys ever watch Daniel Tiger to calm down? Works like a charm. We should try it sometime. Daniel Tiger is so sweet. He's so kind and he's so good. But I think we forget he's still a tiger. <laughs> he could rip you limb from limb if you wanted to. I want to see the PBS episode where Daniel Tiger takes down his first antelope. <laughs> I don't know when that's going to ever air. But it's kind of like who Jesus is, right? Like he's this God in the flesh and he's, and he's like almost cute and cuddly. And he is to his parents. But he's like a tiger too. He's mighty God, everlasting father. And so what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? What are you going to do with this message? <laughs> what will you do with Jesus, the light of the world? Jesus is the light of the world. John 1.5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So all the Gospels open in kind of their different ways, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Matthew and Luke are the ones we go to for kind of the typical birth narratives. But John also has like this birth narrative that's kind of wacky and weird. He talks about the light shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This light is Jesus, is God in the flesh stepping down into our darkness. And Jesus himself says this about himself. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here's the deal. You can have the light of life. You can be delivered from your darkness if you'll just follow Jesus. If you'll repent of your sins, believe in Jesus, and just... Walk day by day in relationship with him, seeking to know him and to be known by him, seeking to experience light and not darkness, to let him shine on those parts of you that you're afraid of, those, those feelings of emptiness or those desires for control or even those emotions of anger. Jesus just wants to shine on those. And to bring his light into your darkness and to light you up, to transform me, to transform you. So that we look 
<laughs> a little bit like those Christmas trees. You look like the right bush on my house. I was driving to CrossFit. Uh, you guys know I do CrossFit, right? Tim Keller, CrossFit, a few of my favorite things. I was driving to CrossFit and just like noticing all the lights. I just listened to this Keller sermon and I was just noticing like all the beautiful Christmas lights, the Christmas trees in the center of Chelmsford. They do a really nice job. It was just reminding me of Jesus. And so I hope this week that as you notice the Christmas lights, whether it's your own lights or your neighbors or driving through a center of town, when you see those Christmas lights, you think Jesus is the light of the world. This light bulb symbolizes Christ. Even those that don't worship Jesus or proclaim to know him or claim to know him, like they're celebrating the birth of Jesus. <laughs> I love that. It just shows like God's all-powerful. And one day, you know, Jesus went to the cross to, to pay the penalty for our darkness so that we could experience light. But you know what? We're still kind of living in a dark world, aren't we? There's still darkness. There's patches of light. We're called to be those, those light bulbs in the darkness. But I think that on Christmas, you know, we need to, we need to remember that there's one more holiday coming, <laughs> See, we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus. We celebrate Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And one day, we're going to celebrate the return of Jesus. <laughs> and that's going to be a holiday. It'll be like the sun rising. It'll be a dawn of a new day. Let me pray. Thank you for the light, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. What else can we say? Thank you, thank you for the light. Lord, I, I pray that no matter what darkness we're caught in or walking through, that you would just shine in our darkness, that you would light up our world, that we would experience your grace and your love this Christmas. We know sometimes our hearts can get lost in the commercialism. Our hearts can get lost in the, the feelings of hurt or loneliness in the season, especially, you know, first Christmas, second Christmas, without those we care about. We just pray that your light would come into the world, into our world, and would we experience your grace and your light. Help us to, to share this light with those around us as well. We have such a precious thing. Um, we love you, Jesus. Amen.